0: Welcome to episode 3 of the Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Khan, and our producer as always is Kwaku Ajimang, a.k.a. Kwaku On Air, a.k.a. the King of New York. Why exactly has the Pride of Toronto been conferred with the crown? Well, my friends, head over to at Kwaku On Air on Instagram, and behold, the majesty of his most recent post. It features, in my humble opinion, the strongest look of 2019. Friends, my double tap was a reflex. It was instantaneous. I couldn't read the caption because I dropped my phone. I'm an idiot. I should have worn fire retardant gloves while scrolling through the young man's feed. Rookie mistake, I should have known better, but now I'm dabbing Paul Sporn on the digits. Our guest today is none other than my dear friend and go-to freelance content creator, Jasmine Williams. The second I saw her LinkedIn announcement about going solo back in the summer of 2018, my eyes lit up and I reached out to inquire about working together. I didn't have a project on hand, but I just knew that if I didn't reach out right away, that her inbox would be flooded with similar requests from all the people who've been lucky to work with her over her storied career. Jasmine is an experienced, and that's an understatement, trust me, digital marketing professional and the founder of Jasmine Williams Media, a content and social media consultancy based in Toronto, Ontario. Jasmine has helped a wide range of clients and companies refine and elevate their brand with high quality, impactful content and social media marketing. If you've been on Student Life Network recently, there's a good chance that you've read some of her work. She's also an award-winning freelance writer whose work has appeared on such notable publications as Daily Hive, View the Vibe, and GoDaddy.ca. Our conversation today was exceptional, my friends. We talked about freelancing, entrepreneurship, representation, and confidence among a whole slew of other topics. The episode is a must-listen if you're on the fence about starting something. I mean, three episodes into this podcast series, and I couldn't be happier with how things are turning out. As always, my friends, you are in for a treat. Let's go. All right. We are live. Jasmine Williams. I'm so excited that you're here.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to be here.
0: I have so many questions to ask (laughs) you, questions that I want to ask you personally, questions that I know our listeners want to ask you as well. And I want to start by thinking about the word that you've set for the year. You've set a very bold intention for the year. Yes. And I want to ask this because every year I go away, usually around November, December, and I have a retreat. And Mm. I do this exercise called the Year Compass exercise. Have you heard of it? I think so. Yearcompass.com. Fantastic little exercise. You can usually split it up into two days, but sometimes people power through it and they do it in one. It's broken up into two parts. The first part is looking back at your year and firming up what happened during that year. It asks you to identify themes, yeah. uh, themes around family, around career, around friends, finances, relationships, so on and so forth, and really make meaning of what happened. Mm-hmm. And then you pause, take a break, and then you do the next part, which is forward thinking, and you set intentions for how you want your next year to be. And so everything was going well. And in years past, I've had no problem articulating what I want my year for, what I want my word for the year to be. This year, I was stuck. This year, not only did I land on several words, by the time I finished the exercise, I thought to myself, I actually don't know what I want my year 2019 to be. Right. But you came out swinging. <laughs> Your word was one of the most profound, simple, and just just, just inspiring words. A three-letter little, a three-letter, little word, J-O-Y, mm-hmm. joy. How did you confidently arrive at that?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the kind of word of the year, something that I've been doing for, I guess, like the past three or so years, like, cause I've always been somebody, like a very goal oriented person. Mm -hmm. And I was always like setting those like, typical new year's resolutions like gonna get fit blah blah blah, and you know you fall off after a, a month or you'd like do the month and then you're like oh i'm tired i don't want to oh, do yeah. this again
0: gyms are packed in january and then my february march ghost town
1: i know yeah. i know the new year's resolutioners. it's Never so funny works, yeah. but uh so yeah the first time i started it like my first word was actually just consistency okay because that's kind of what i wanted like i was always doing these kind of quick hit challenges and then falling off mm-hmm. and it was constant like this constant like cycle so i was just like just be consistent like just kind of like Find an exercise. That year is very exercise-focused. So it's like, just find a form of exercise that you like and then just do it. And then if you fall off, just get back on. Like, stop doing these 30-day challenges. Like, just, you know, commit to doing something. And it it worked, you know? Like, I was finally able to sort of established a routine like at least was regularly exercising in a way i hadn't really done since like i guess high school so then i just kind of kept doing it last year uh my word was acceptance which i didn't quite it was a hard word for me i think like i don't think i quite got it right. but uh it was still like kind of a goal because it's kind of like the anti-consistency i was like okay you worked really really hard for a long time like just accept where you are like kind of accept what's coming rather than trying to force your way through things uh and then i just like started the company so i guess i didn't really accept anything but uh <laughs> yeah but then joy yeah i joy because um yeah, last year was quite a roller coaster. Like, uh, you know, quit my job in like May or so, started a company in June, and then that's just been like, you know, quite a ride ever since. And it was it was work. It's a lot of work. It still is a lot of work. Um, but I definitely let kind of like all self-care Go out the window, mm-hmm. um like kind of in the beginning when I started the company, I was like sort of lax and I was like hanging out with my friends and blah blah blah. And then it, like I kind of had to have a moment with myself where it's like you need to get your shit together right. because there's nobody else anymore. No. Like it's just You're you. In free fall Yeah. So then then I kind of almost overcorrected and like worked insane hours. Like didn't really do anything besides work and. Like burnt out, like mm-hmm. I think burnt out multiple times. Wow. Uh, Within so, an
0: eight month span.
1: Yeah, like I was just running a marathon and just kept moving the finish line. Uh, it was just, it's not, it wasn't sustainable.
0: And your two words that were uh, that, that that you said prior to that, I think, uh, would you agree that they came back in some way as well, where you had to really figure out what a consistent schedule or routine looks like for you as an entrepreneur, but then also accepting the fate that you had uh, committed to. But also at the same time, acceptance for yourself personally, which you suggested. But then thinking about acceptance and approval from others as well, because now not only are you you are not only are you your own boss, but you're also your own client. You are also a service provider. You are so many things now. Yeah. In this space.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you're absolutely right. I think those words i think that's why i gravitate towards these words of the years because they're not resolutions like they're not necessarily things that can be tied up in a Mm -hmm. year it's not like train for a marathon marathon's done like yeah consistency acceptance these are always things that i'm like striving to be better at striving to have more of in my life uh so yeah and then adding joy on top of that was just kind of a reminder to myself to make time for fun because Mm -hmm. it's just like you you need both
0: totally you know (laughs) i i used to be one to set intentions in the past and like you suggested over there, I would just fizzle out very quickly. And I think the problem with intentions is that they necessitate intensity. Mm. And intensity is never a long term strategy. Intensity is just working in a short burst, working very, very, uh, in a very applied way. And then you don't really see results in the long run. What I found to be more effective over time was systems, doing small things and doing them often. Um, I call them daily imperative actions. What's one thing that you can do every single day that'll make it more true that you will arrive at that destination that you've set for yourself? Mm -hmm. So my word for 2018 was foundations. And Mm -hmm. every day I said, I'm gonna lay foundations for my personal life, for my professional life, for my academic life, for this business, for that line of income, all of that. And I just worked very diligently over 365 days to lay foundations what are you going to do in 2019 to lay foundations for building joy so that when we have this conversation at the end of the year because we're having it at the top of the year when we have it at the end of the year what are you going to do now that will make it such that you will feel more joyous by the time we hit 2020.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Well, yeah, that's one thing like I've started, like I've never really been much of like a planner person, but I started using a planner and it kind of, at the end of the week, it always asks, you know, like what were your wins? Like what were you gonna try to do in this next week to be more productive? And I realized too that like my productivity is also very much tied to my happiness. So every kind of week I set a little goal for myself like whether it's like go for go work out into a co-working space you know just get out of the house uh like I try to make more of a commitment to talk to my friends or just reach out to friends like I'm a very almost extreme introvert Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) and so like it's so weird to me sometimes to just be like hey do you want to do you want to hang out
0: (laughs) (laughs) I need connection I need another person to look at me talk to me me?
1: please (laughs) but I've, I've been working on that and it's like yeah and The more I do it, I think the easier it gets because, like, I don't know what I'm expecting. Like, are people just going to be like, no, I'm too busy for you. Bye. No. Most people are like, yeah, I was thinking about you, too. I'd love to grab coffee. So just, yeah, doing those little things to prioritize the people in my life and, like, the things that I love to do. Like, I've been trying not so well not so successfully to like wake up a little bit earlier just to read in the mornings because reading is something that I like super enjoy like I don't even really do like I do it for fun like I don't do it as like I need to read more like I just genuinely love it
0: and I have so many questions about your process and about how it is that you're able to consistently apply yourself to produce high quality award-winning content and I think you know, you're, you're teasing a little bit about your process when you say that you read quite a lot. And mm-hmm. that's something that I've totally fallen off on and I feel like I need to get back on. So I'm going to save that for the second part of this, this this conversation. Before we get into that, you were in Jamaica not too long ago.
1: I was. And this is
0: the first time that you went back to Jamaica in over 10 years. Yeah. And your mom's from Jamaica and you went yes. to go visit your grandmother. Yes. What was Jamaica like?
1: It was It was amazing. It was such a weird, like... Sometimes, like, I get into this kind of, like, high school poet mentality (laughs) whenever I go, like, to the Caribbean. Because, like, it's very, like, as somebody who, let me kind of backtrack. So my dad is from Antigua, another island in the Caribbean. And I would always, I spent more time in Antigua than I've spent in Jamaica just because Jamaica, there's a lot of crime there. Uh, It just wasn't always safe for my family to visit. And what I was immediately, like, like struck by when i got to jamaica was just how similar it was to antigua like i guess in my head i kind of ex- like expected it to be different or just expected it to look different from when i what i remembered but it didn't and that was just kind of a really complex feeling i guess of like i'm so happy that it's still the same or it's a place that i recognize but you're also kind of like oh i wish there maybe was a bit more progress mm-hmm. that's been there so yeah, that that's that. But uh, yeah, it was great. Like, I got to see parts of the island I hadn't really gotten to see before. Like, I went to Ocho Rios, nice. uh, like, did the whole swimming with dolphins, climbing waterfalls, all of that stuff. Uh, it was also really great for my family to kind of reconnect. We're all very, like, super busy. Like, we have, um, we're Basically, I'm a, from a family of entrepreneurs, like all my ma- my mom, my dad, even my grandmother, they all own their own businesses. So they're all very busy. Um, so it's kind of great to just have everybody together, you know, like Christmas, like, all these generations like in the kitchen. like There
0: you go. A tropical Christmas almost. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. I, when you say that you come from a family of entrepreneurs and so do I, but it seems like our first instinct was to take traditional corporate desk jobs. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that. But back to the topic of Jamaica real quick. So yeah. I was there last year for a bachelor party. Okay. And I'm aware that being on a resort isn't the authentic experience in any country. I mean, for all intents and purposes, going to a resort could be a simulation. <laughs> I've been to Cuba. I've been to Dominican. I've yeah. been to all the typical places. Yeah. I don't know if they were the same places or not, because I could have just gotten onto that plane. They could have put some VR headset over me or just gassed me out with the plane by changing the pressure. And then I could have woken up in the exact same place, some set in Florida. Yeah. And they could have just said, hey, like, you know, Ola versus... You know Wagwan. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it could have been it could have been the exact same place. Yeah. But well, I tried to make it a point to get out of the resort and just verify for myself. Yeah, that this is a real place. And the place that they told me to go in Jamaica was Scotchies.
1: Ooh, yeah, you have been to Scotchies. Scotchies. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I'm always <laughs> hesitant when people say you have to go to this place. I'm yeah. like, do I really mm-hmm. like? Are you giving me the tourist recommendation or are you giving me the local authentic recommendation? Yeah. From your perspective, as somebody who is from Jamaica who has roots from Jamaica. Yeah. Was Scotchies a good recommendation that I got?
1: I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed
0: it. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah. No, it was great. And it's just like the experience of being there, like just all the smoke and everything. It was, yeah. I don't know. Like when my family gets together, we just love to eat. <laughs> so like, yeah, we made it a, a fact, like a priority to hit up like all the, all the food spots that we could, we could get to.
0: Amazing. I'm so happy to hear that because every now and then you have some food, which is the paragon of food. Yeah. And, like I've had jerk chicken my entire life, yeah. but then I had Scotty's jerk chicken. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, this is what jerk chicken is supposed to taste it's like,
1: like. The smoke is like infused oh. and then you have the spices. Yeah. It oh, was man. Great.
0: So good. Now, as a fellow Scarberian. if somebody <laughs> were to ask you, what's the go to place in Scarborough that you have to eat here? What would that place
1: be for you? Oh, man, that's that's tough. Um yeah, there's so there's so many good places in Scarborough. Like Scarborough is so huge. Like I think if people aren't from Scarborough, they don't realize quite how big it is. Oh yeah. But Scroll. uh yeah. Yeah, but uh, I got to rep my Warden Station patties. Warden Station patties <laughs> cannot go
0: wrong with Warden Station patties. Yeah. I'm I'm I d- I would defer to uh, Kennedy. I'm sorry, I'm partial to Kennedy Station myself. All right. But what about like restaurant wise?
1: Restaurant wise. Uh there's like a really good Hakka place
0: Damn, i was so happy you said that yeah <laughs> let's hear this and I have, I have a theory on hucka but go for it
1: i oh man my friends are gonna kill me for not remembering the name but it's i know it's like close to markham and elsmere which is like where i
0: is live. it frederick's
1: oh frederick's is good okay. yeah that's literally like right beside my high school there but there's like another there's another newer spot there's
0: a bunch of them there's like hucka legend There, i
1: think that's it yeah,
0: Hakka Legend has a couple of different spots yeah. in and around. Well, they're actually polarized. They're either in Scarborough or all the way in Peel region.
1: Mm.
0: Man, so if there's any enterprising listeners of this podcast who have uh, an inclination to start up a restaurant, I think you could make a killing by starting a Hakka joint in downtown. Ooh, There's none here. There's there w- There's one, but it's not authentically Hakka. It's like a hybrid restaurant. It's yeah. like Asian fusion. Yeah. And they have a couple of like dishes that are haka ish but nothing quite like haka
1: but then the prices
0: (laughs) yes yeah but i think i think there's a possibility to do like artisanal uh for lack of a better phrase hipster friendly haka that we could that could happen downtown i
1: think it could happen it's weird like i actually realized like close to where my my mom still lives like i like was just i don't know i think a blog to thing popped up and there's a restaurant that basically is like a caribbean chipotle like they, do, like they do, like they do, like the rice bowls and the toppings, yeah. but it's like jerk chicken, they got jerk their shrimp. Mise en place and, yeah. yeah, and it's like, all right.
0: <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, you know. So you heard the podcast from last week where we had a saw and he was talking about just building up the brand of Brampton and it got me really thinking about what it is that I can do as a somebody who identifies with Scarborough somebody who was raised over there somebody who thinks of it as his hometown even though I live downtown what is it that I can do to build up the brand of Scarborough and I think that cuisine is going to play a big role in that Mm -hmm. that's one of the few places that I've been to that has such a a melting pot a, a, a tapestry if you will of different cultures and it's really reflected in the food over there yeah but a better story needs to be told about Scarborough I feel like their stories are there mm-hmm. but that story needs to be amplified and told in a different way where people are able to dispel their preconceived notions about Scarborough and venture out it's not that far <laughs> yeah I mean, we're very lucky that you know we live in in the core and we can commute there and you know I have access to a car and I can drive there all the time yeah um but I would love to see the narrative around Scarborough change. And, and let's talk about narrative for a second because you do such a great job of telling stories. Oh, thank you. You do such a great job of taking brands and amplifying their story, raising their profile, raising their awareness. You know, I actually got a quote from your website over here. Your, your homepage right there says, content creation services for game changers and change makers. Let yeah. me bring your story to life. Yeah. Can you walk us through how it is that you set down this path that brought you to this specific application of your gifts? Whew. <laughs> sorry big question but why don't we start from high school yeah so you're, yeah. you're young jasmine williams in high school
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're looking up at the world you can go anywhere yeah why do you choose to go down this path that brought you here
1: for sure yeah well it's a very
0: coherent path
1: so you say yeah linkedin, LinkedIn <laughs> linkedin's lying to me yeah no 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 uh i guess like for me like i've always known I wanted to be a writer in some way, shape or form. Like I started reading from an early age and then quickly after that I was writing. Like I would literally make my own storybooks. I'd like design the covers. I'd have the pipe cleaner bindings. Like wow. and it just was just for my mom. <laughs> like, way to go. It would just be like Customer number one. Yeah, yeah, here's here's my new story. Um so yeah, it was like I I guess I was lucky in that way and that I'd never really had that sort of, like, high school soul-searching, what do I do? Like, it was always obvious, writing. Like, it just came as naturally to me as breathing. It was just what kind of writing, what kind of writer did I want to be? Um, and I remember one day, like, my dad kind of, like, sat me down. He's like, okay, you gotta you gotta pick your classes now. Uh, pick your courses. Uh and I was like, okay, well, there's creative writing, and I guess there's journalism. Like, at the time, I didn't even really think about being a journalist. Like, it, I didn't really, like, we don't really even study it much in high school. Uh, but I kind of read more about it, and I was like, okay, pop culture. Like, I like watching the news. I like learning about people, talking to people, seeing what's going on. That seems like a better fit. Like, creative writing is fun, but it just didn't seem like the kind of career path I wanted to go down it always sort of felt like just like a nice hobby uh so yeah i picked journalism um i applied to you know the the top schools that i could because i had pretty good marks so i was like and also like if i was going to study journalism and not like business or medicine then i guess kind of like the immigrant parent thing mm-hmm. you know you want to go to the best school you can go to totally i think even my parents are probably it's i wouldn't say they they probably aren't upset but like they actually wanted me to apply to like american schools really but i just didn't want to spend the money or i didn't totally. i didn't want to spend their money
0: did you have someone in your life that could show you the ropes that could tell you how it is that you could succeed in the industry did you have somebody who had industry connections no so you paved a new way you charted a new frontier for yourself
1: i guess so yeah like my dad is an accountant by trade okay. uh and then my mom is a doctor so like really great role models, but yeah, none, like it's funny because like they, my family jokes that like my brother, younger brother is a dancer. Like he goes mm-hmm. to high school right now for performing arts and he's like, yeah, an accountant and a doctor gave birth to a writer and a dancer. <laughs> um, so yeah, the total they, they had no real, traditional mindset. Yeah. yeah, they didn't really have any bearings when it came to like pursuing a career in like a creative field. Right. I think they're just sort of like, well, just go to the best school, get the best education yeah. you can get. So, uh, yeah, so then I applied to, to Carlton, I got in, uh, and then while I was there, uh, kind of, you know, I went to, I tried writing for the school newspaper, I didn't really like the vibe there, uh, I felt it was a little pretentious, not gonna lie, and uh, just never, yeah, I never quite felt like I fit, um, so kind of naturally, I, I created something new, so uh, I was kind of I heard about this website called Her Campus.
0: Her Campus. Shout out to Her Campus. Shout
1: out to Her Campus. Uh, It was like like an online magazine for university-age women. And then at the time, they were launching this kind of like – kind of ambassador type program where you have a
0: carlton specific her campus
1: yeah so then they were like started her campus at your at your school and i remember like looking over at my like university roommate at the time i was like i want let's do this let's do this together you know like i'll be the editor-in-chief you can be the president like (laughs) it's gonna be great so then you know we you did put the application together we put it in for a while it was just kind of like a waiting game like oh my god did we make it and then we were accepted so then you know we got to work like recruiting a team and like uh, building this magazine out and then so that was like kind of my first experience I guess doing something entrepreneurial I didn't even really think of it that way it was just like well I like I want to write for a magazine someday right so might as well kind of start now Um, but it was great like I learned so much from that like just through the process of putting it together you know like hiring writers editing writers like building out a process like a uh, you know editorial calendar and like I did get a lot of guidance from her campus not like don't get me wrong like they give you a lot of documents to help you figure that all out Uh, but it was great like I still remember like when one of our first sort of articles went viral I think it got like 50 Really got like seventeen thousand hits wow. in like a week, and then eventually got like fifty thousand hits. But wow. that was I think that's still probably one of my better performing <laughs> pieces of content. But like, yeah, it was just uh, that was just like a really cool experience, and uh, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I get kind of paved the way for what I'm doing now. But then, I guess to skip over some things, like I I graduated, wasn't quite sure what to do uh had a few different options like i had applied to a couple internships didn't get the internships um and then i sort of applied to grad school as a bit of a backup um so then when all the other things fell through the backup kind of became the main plan Mm -hmm. so as it
0: usually does sometimes right
1: yeah yeah like uh i remember even having like a literally five chart like five different ways my life could go right yeah. now and then kind of being like the nope. trees
0: the branches yeah,
1: and yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I, I then i ended up doing a one-year master's at, at ryerson uh university in media production and uh i was a little unfocused like i wasn't really prepared to do a master's at that time um but being at ryerson kind of also sparked that entrepreneurial thing energy i guess a mm-hmm. little bit because ryerson's so big about that uh and yeah, like I've kind of found myself gravitating towards like entrepreneurial type things. Like I was doing like an entrepreneurial uh, like elective. I did a couple of sort of entrepreneurial electives um, and then graduated. Uh, and I think that's actually around the time that that like we first mm-hmm. met. Um, and then. Yeah, that actually. And then, yeah, meeting you was also a big aspect of how I kind of ended up gravitating towards marketing. Cause I remember going to like a presentation that you did, uh, about splash effect. I think it was just right. about like, for people who might be interested in advertising because I remember I was about to graduate and I just had no idea really what kind of thing I wanted to do and I remember seeing you and seeing I, I'm not sure Kareem was there but uh you kind of you know built this agency and I remember looking at the website and seeing like all these diverse people there and I was like this is cool like mm-hmm. I never thought like marketing advertising could look like that I just assumed it looked you know white yeah like
0: typically female if you're in the content side
1: yeah uh, you have your
0: picture of your stereotypical marketing professional
1: exactly Becky so was,
0: with thick rim glasses <laughs> and,
1: yeah exactly. platinum
0: blonde hair yeah
1: for sure for sure so it was the first time like yeah representation is so key and it was one of those moments where i was like oh cool like i could see myself working there wow. uh and i remember kind of emailing you being like i'm a journal i have a journalism background i've never done marketing but like maybe there's a synergy there um and then they're it was, and you know, we kind of continue to collaborate. Wow, that's
0: uh, that's such an incredible compliment. I did not know that. I <laughs> yeah. did not know that that was part of the narrative as well. Thank you. That's uh, that makes me feel really good and really, really proud of what it is that Kareem and I did with that with that organization. Yeah. And uh, you know, what's so interesting about your story, and I've known this. This has been true since the day that i met you. A, a theme that I'm now noticing for that part of your story that I didn't know about was that you always said yes to things. And I think it goes back to one of my favorite mantras, which is say yes to everything until you absolutely can't. Mm. Like, I don't think I've ever sent you a project that you've said no to. Yeah. And it seems like your success is directly proportional to the amount of total experiments that you generated. Because yeah. things that you don't take care of, things that you don't voluntarily try to fix are only going to get worse. I yeah. think that's just a law of life, Yeah. if you will. That call went out for her campus. Most people didn't answer the call. You did. Right? Most people didn't go to that networking event or that speaking event where I was speaking. You did. Yeah. Most people didn't take on the internships. You did. So you're constantly putting yourself out there and doing things, doing things that will make it more likely that you'll succeed. And I'm sure that you've had your fair share of failures. I'm sure that it all hasn't been home runs. Yeah. Very interesting. So then you come into this other phase of your life. So after we crossed paths, yeah. we had the year one project together. Mm-hmm. I think at that time you were just transitioning into Notable, I believe.
1: Not Notable. Uh, that was Talent Egg. Talent Egg. That was like okay. kind of the first real full-time job that I had.
0: And then I remember in that very short, maybe five or six year period, just back to back, like Notable publication after Notable publication, no pun intended. You went from Talent Egg to Notable, then Futurepreneur, Textbooks for Change. I yeah. think I'm getting the order wrong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like there was a
0: clear path of like Jasmine Williams entered into this tier now where no one can afford your freelance services anymore. (laughs) Like you went pro, you went pro. And I think I stopped reaching out to you because I'm like, I literally can't afford to hire Jasmine Williams anymore. (laughs) But then the announcement comes out that caught everyone by surprise, which is (laughs) Jasmine Williams is now a free agent. Yeah. (laughs) And my first reaction was, I don't know what we're going to work on, but I'm just going to email you right now and say, Jasmine, we're going to work on something. Can I lock you in at your introductory level rates? (laughs) And you said, yes. And then there was a long pause, and now here we are. Just a cascade of tasks are coming, yeah. and I'm so glad that I reached out. What has that transition been like for you? You are now full time. You're doing this, yeah. Like you're living the dream. You are now your own boss. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Way to go! Congratulations, by the way.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite, uh, like I guess, like an emotional journey, journey to mm-hmm. to get here. Because like I guess, yeah, like if you look at my career trajectory. To, Blech. trajectory, <laughs> trajectory. Um, it does kind of make sense but yeah for like I've always kind of I guess to backtrack a little bit like I've always done freelance writing on mm-hmm. the side like it's always like even when I was working with you that was kind of like a freelance writing thing it's just something I've done but it was always something I sort of saw as more of like a hobby or just like a way to kind of bring in a little bit of extra income like I never really thought of it as something I really wanted to do mm-hmm. or like really could do to support myself uh but then like I crossed paths uh with this one well I didn't really cross paths I saw her on Facebook she was like uh answering questions about entrepreneurship because at the time I was in or I guess before I started I was in a lot of entrepreneurship groups on Facebook because I was just like obsessed with it and really wanted to to do it but wasn't quite sure how so then I saw this woman who was answering questions who just seemed to like know what what was what so I, I dm'd her uh I guess similar to how I yeah. messaged you being like, hey, like I think you have a like I think I have a lot of questions. I feel like you're the one who can answer them. Um, so then we, we chatted, we talked on the phone and she gave me so much advice wow. that day just about like the kinds of clients I could work with. And like in a way, I sort of by talking to her, I realized I was already doing. A lot of things right. It was just kind of like a mindset thing where I I would think like nobody nobody would pay for it. It was validating. Yeah, most
0: people are afraid to do that, and I'm not sure why. I wonder what it is about us. You know, maybe the way that we were parented, or maybe the resourcefulness that we had to develop pre-internet, or as the internet was burgeoning. I wonder what it is that allowed us to have that. The, the confidence to reach out to people, mm-hmm. and the world has never been smaller. I mean, you can reach out to anyone right now. You can have a full blown conversation with a celebrity crush that you've been crushing on for as long as as long as you have been. You can just find them on Instagram, send them the right DM message, the right com- like put post the right comment under their photo, and you ne- next thing you know, you're having a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Um. And I benefited from 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 a similar conversation where I reached out to a gentleman by the name of Andrew Giles from okay. uh, Good Buzz was the company. I applied for that internship, and I remember sending him that email. And I actually published a blog post about it where I showed the email that I wrote to him. Mm-hmm. He rejected me for the job, and then he gave me constructive feedback on the email. <laughs> and it was it was a transformative thing, a small gesture. It took five minutes of his day, yeah. but it set me down the path that I'm on right now yeah. by validating, similarly to what you said, uh, things that I was doing right and then pointing out blind spots. Yeah. And I feel like more, more of the listeners, more young people need to do that. They just reach out to the person who has the job that you want. Reach yeah. out to somebody who you find inspiring. And chances are, if they're putting content out there, if they're putting themselves out there, they want to be reached out to. Yeah. Very interesting. So, who was this person, by the way?
1: Um. Yeah. Uh. She like I talk about her all the time. Her name's uh, Shauna Vert.
0: Shauna Vert. Shout uh, out to Shauna Vert.
1: Shout out to Shauna. Yeah. Uh. She. She's a. She's a content consultant. And like I saw her. Like I literally kind of creeped her, and I saw like saw the, those words, content consultant. And I was just like, oh, like. I think I could be that. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds like something I could do. Um, And, yeah, she was just so generous with her time and her expertise. Like, she literally, like, told – like, I remember on that phone call, she's like, Jasmine, like, I don't even know you, but I made X amount last month. Wow. Like, I'm telling you, we have the similar – and at the time, too, like, she'd only been doing it for about a year. And we had similar backgrounds, actually. We both went to Carlton but just never met (laughs) – so, in similar ages, so she's like, we have this very similar background. You're you're a good writer, from what I can tell. You know, you just need to kind of figure out who you should be reaching out to, how to price yourself services, how, how to price yourself well. Yeah. And then away you go, basically.
0: Very interesting. So you mentioned you, your mom is a doctor, your dad's an accountant, and yeah. you just found this new frontier of content of marketing of content creation, multimedia, and you're charting a path forward. Who are some of your mentors and role models in the space? Who are some people that you saw and said to yourself, in addition to Shauna Vert, who you said, if they're doing it, I can do it. Did you see yourself represented Mm. in the industry early on?
1: To be honest, not really. I think that's kind of why it's like it took me a while to do what I wanted to do. Cause like I've wanted to do what I'm doing now for a long time. Like right. I don't think I ever really wanted a traditional job. Like it was always a way, a means to an end, or mm-hmm. like it just seemed like the safe thing to do. Uh, and yeah, I just didn't really see a lot of. A lot of women, especially, kind of making yeah. their own way or freelancing. Like I saw freelancers, but nobody was. I didn't really see anybody, uh, doing it full time. Like I guess. Uh, in addition to Shauna, there's another woman named uh, Kat Bougard, Shout out to Kat who Bougard. I've never yeah. actually met. She just has a really wonderful blog where she talks about freelance writing. Got it. Um, so that was another kind of resource. Mm-hmm. But again, she wasn't. She was kind of not really relatable because she's in the states. She's like married, you know, right. and living in Wisconsin. and like
0: different life intersection conf- yeah com- so it's like okay
1: you, you can do it but i'm not quite sure if i can so i kind right. of having like somebody like shauna who's a bit closer to home like Got it. uh i think i kind of needed i needed that validation was it
0: important to see women i mean this sounds like a silly question but like how important was it for you to see fellow women in in positions of influence uh who were entrepreneurs and 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 eventually you know their own bosses was that important for you as you were ascending this career path Or, uh, you know, was it something that you became more tuned into later on?
1: For sure. Yeah, no, like uh, seeking women's women like female role models has always been huge to me. Like, I think I don't. Yeah, there's something that's sort of hard to relate to with with men, like even though like I obviously do have male role models. It's just like there's that kind of natural confidence, I think, that a lot of men have right. that I just could never quite, I never quite had myself.
0: Yeah, and I apologize for the, the clunky phrasing of that question. The reason I asked is because one thing that I'm now unpacking as I get older and more mature and more knowledgeable about the world is how much I took for granted that there was always a role model that was a male in mm-hmm. any space that I walked into, whether I was an intern at Sony Music, whether I was working in, in, in a tech startup early on in my life, Ryerson University, so on and so forth. I, it's something I always took for granted. But now I'm hyper aware of spaces where the gender diversity is very imbalanced. I think to myself, okay, wow, for all the junior staff that I'm working with, who are they looking up to? What kind of mentorship circle opportunities are being created? Uh, is their voice going to be heard at the table? Who's gonna help them to, 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 to navigate this, this space? Let's, let's, let's talk about, while we're on the topic of representation, like, can you speak to what it felt like to be a woman of color specifically? coming up in an industry that was predominantly dominated or was predominantly white what did that feel like i mean did you see it starting from Car- carlton were there a lot of people of color in your program no, no
1: wow uh i think there's like two other black women in my graduating class
0: you're not just you're not just your program your class eh? or
1: like my program like okay, my yeah, journalism sorry. program okay well, how uh, big was
0: your program just to give some some
1: like 80 I think by the the end of it so yeah that's
0: abysmal two out of 80 yeah three out of 80 sorry
1: numbers weren't great uh so yeah it's it's just like kind of always feeling like very visible and also feeling like I kind of have to code switch all the time like I think that's always been the biggest thing like it's not necessarily that I felt held back in any way it was just sort of like I was just I've always felt very mindful of like how people might perceive me and how I can, like, counteract those And when you, when
0: you say code switch, can you, like, point to, like, a specific example, even hypothetical of, like, when, when would you have to code switch?
1: Just, like, let's, like, if I'm in an office environment and, you know, like, people bring up scarborough or something like that like uh or even yeah sometimes i'll say like oh i live in the east end not scarborough Mm. uh just because you know i'm a little bit worried about the perception of it or i just don't want people to think of me in a particular way got it got it uh but but yeah, like I, I remember like at my my last job before going freelance, like there was this one kid, I think he was from Brampton. So he's not even from, from Scarborough, but he was – he sorry, I call him a kid, but he was yeah, like an yeah, intern. Yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So – and then, yeah, we'd kind of chat in the lunchroom and be like, yo, guy, you know, <laughs> and just like exaggerated. Yeah. But like I remember seeing my coworkers being like – what What? like because they were seeing like a side of me that they never really saw before totally uh and that's the thing it's like i can't even expose that side because you white guys don't get it right so it's it's that sort of feeling where it's like i kind of have to be this very like acceptable or not acceptable just very palatable version of myself um, and But I feel like it's like it's missing a big piece. Like there's all <laughs> these references, all these things I can't make. And that was one thing that was so cool, like even working with you, like in, in Splash Effect, because everybody was from, you know, either Scarborough or Brampton. Place, yeah. So, like, you know, we'd be talking about work, but also talking about music and talking about food and just culture. And right. like that felt like I, I still to this day, I don't think I've ever had kind of a work experience, which kind of married. Yeah,
0: it was special. Yeah. And, 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 and so much of that was actually influenced towards the later, towards the tail end of that by uh, none other than Charlemagne the God. (laughs) Like, I read Black Privilege. I read it front to back in one sitting, and I said, whoa, this is something else. Like, this is a book unlike anything I've ever written. So I got the audiobook right away, listened to Charlemagne narrate it, which was even funnier than actually reading, because I read it in his voice. But he says something that's so profound that has actually changed the the entire outlook on my life, which is live your truth. And the minute I started leaning into my truth Mm -hmm. a lot more, I felt more confident. I became more self-actualized and actually more successful, yeah. which is so counterintuitive to what I, what I was raised with. I remember when I spent time in the Canadian Armed Forces. I mean, that's an environment that insists that you diminish what makes you unique. Mm-hmm. You, you're reduced back into a a component piece of something bigger they want you to be a name they want you to be a number they want you to be a soldier and so that experience then carried on with me for most of my career where I felt like I had to fit into the culture I had to fit into this homogenous structure Mm -hmm. uh, and play into it and it was only when I came to Ryerson where the mantra of bring your authentic self to work started to be reinforced and became a refrain that I thought okay you know what I can start to acknowledge who I am a little bit more yeah I am South Asian. My parents are from India. My mom's from South India. My dad's from Gujarat. I was raised in a Muslim household. I've fluctuated between different levels of faith, so on and so forth. And then I started to acknowledge over time the things that make me odd and weird. And, you know, I still watch wrestling to this very day. (laughs) I enjoy it. I'm a big MMA fan, for instance. And then as I I began to uh, own my individuality a bit more, I started to then notice that it was alienating some people. Mm. And I started to alienate more and more and more. And that threw me off and I maybe then retreated onto myself and I started to become the sort of dissolving chameleon-like person that I was. Yeah. And then I wasn't happy anymore. Yeah. So once I had the taste of what it felt like to live my truth and then I retreated back into uh, the veneer of what people wanted me to be, I started feeling unhappy mm-hmm. and I think maybe that contributed to a bit of depression that I went into but now I've fully come out as here's who I am and I'm owning day in and day out more of who I am and I feel like you do that really really well like I've not there's not a day that I've known you where you haven't fully been Jasmine Williams unless of course you're still code switching
1: <laughs> well and and that's and that's the thing like I feel like kind of my whole life I've always been like sort of in between and i'm sure a lot of like second generation immigrants could probably feel the same way you know you have parents from one culture you raised another culture but i feel like i've always had certain like so multiple levels to that like i've had like class differences like right i kind of grew up on like the east end of scarborough sure went to school and more the west end of scarborough so like you know there's class differences between like the people i'm going to school with and like where i'm living and like even like i was i danced growing up and like nice. competitive dance is a very privileged activity totally, yeah. so you know i'd go to school with all these friends from like diverse backgrounds and then like go after school go to dance with all these like really rich kids and it was like i always felt like either too much or not enough
0: interesting very so interesting yeah. it's
1: a it's something that i feel like i'm like i i i think like definitely there's people are people i'm with that I'm, i feel like i'm more myself around mm-hmm. and it's generally people like from scarborough or people of color or people who i know can kind of get where i'm coming from uh and then yeah there's people where it's like i i think i feel like i i hold back because i feel like they just might not get it So it's like a, it's constantly a a thing. And I'm trying to do less of that. I'm trying to do less of the, oh, like, I need to not talk about this because somebody might not get it. Like, I'm trying to just just say it.
0: (laughs) Well, I feel like in 2019, this is the time for everybody to just lean into who they are. Yeah. The book I read, I'm reading, rereading right now is uh, Seth Godin's Everybody's Weird. Okay. And he talks about that the internet has enabled us to live in our own bubbles, to live in worlds where, the things that make us unique are the things that are also going to be the catalyst for wild growth in our lives and yeah. wild success in our lives. Um, as evidenced by any number of Twitter hashtags or subreddits or Instagram channels that are dedicated to one thing and one thing only, whatever that might be. Yeah. It could be a fan page for a specific Fortnite character. It yeah. could be, you know, uh, you know the Toronto Raptors subreddit. Whatever whatever it is, you can find your space and you can really just lean into who you are and yeah. be that person authentically without hesitation. For sure,
1: for sure. I'm,
0: I'm excited for you because I feel like you've now entered into a space and a time where being a female uh, entrepreneur being in the marketing creative multimedia space and also being a woman of color specifically black so many of the stars have aligned like i feel like this is your time it truly is yeah. and i worry sometimes i talk to some of my white male friends and i'm like yeah you you feel like an extinct species <laughs> like you feel like you feel like the dinosaurs don't you like yeah. You're going out of style so real like quick and, a oh yeah bit. <laughs> and they're, they're becoming very cognizant of it yeah and we talked about it i think maybe last week or the week before we talked about how black panthers nominated for best picture mm-hmm. and right like right before we went on air i was like i don't know if it's like best picture over first men and then yeah. i thought about it i'm like no no hold on there's a bigger battle being fought over here a battle yeah. of representation a battle that needs to undo hundreds if not thousands of years of, of damage that's been done, mm-hmm. and especially through the colonial uh, um, apparatus that really changed power dynamics. And I'm just glossing over just history over here, but yeah. like we have to undo a lot of damage that's been done as people of color and, and as people who have been traditionally underrepresented, marginalized. So now is the time, and I feel like all the stars are aligning. I feel like the government sees this, mm-hmm. industry sees this, we see this, and now we have this tool, social media. We have the internet that's allowing us to now work With each other to reward and to incentivize the type of work that's being done. Yeah, Uh, I know I I can see you're benefiting from it. Bailey's benefiting from it. I mean, something like uh, make lemonade wasn't possible maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now here we are, part of a thriving ecosystem of female entrepreneurs. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's really incredible, and it's I think also it's happening like this is all happening at a time where like like everybody's being empowered, like creators are being empowered and then the people employing creators. Like I think like there's... I guess almost like a a widespread democratization that's Mm -hmm. happening. Like not to like over intellectualize it or anything, but just like the people that I'm working with tend to be people of color, people from the LGBTQ community, people who want to work with people like me.
0: It was wild. I remember uh, Kareem and I. We won a contract one time, and we thought we had no business winning this contract. We're like, "Whoa, we got this! We bid for this. Like we were probably in the running with a bunch of other agencies, and they picked us. And we sat in in the kickoff meeting, and uh, the person of color who hired us sat down with us female person of color and said i just want to let you know like you guys were good but the thing that got you through the finish line was we want to invest in this type of work yeah with type of people like that you are with your intersectionalities and i thought to myself something's something new is happening here. yeah i'd never experienced that before maybe if it was happening it wasn't acknowledged to me yeah but that's when i realized exactly what you said that people in positions of power are now uh attuned to the need to reinvest in the community
1: yeah and it's like it's it is important because like i think like people people who come who are different like we see things differently we like we point out things that might have like like missed like other people might have missed because it's just not their daily reality yeah like I, I feel like sometimes i think it almost makes me a better editor in a way because i'm constantly thinking about how i'm perceived so i'm always very careful about my language and you know like how you know how another person of color would perceive this how maybe an lgbt person would sure. like i'm very mindful of that it's very important to me um and like to somebody who maybe hasn't faced any kind of uh marginalization Mm -hmm. in any way those things might not be as apparent or might not be as like at the forefront but they they are for me and i think that helps me align with other people with similar values
0: amazing and on that note what does your personal board of directors look like who are the mentors (laughs) maybe the 5 10 20 people in your life you don't have to go into names but just give me like the sort of backgrounds that they comprise and sort of how it is that you constructed the jasmine williams Directory advisory board.
1: <laughs> well, I think it needs to be a bit bigger. Uh, like, my dad has been such a huge, huge supporter. Right uh, like, he has always kind of pushed me to do my own thing. Like, even like, I've always had some like issues in corporate environments. And he was kind of like, okay, what when, what's happening? You know, when are you starting the company? And now, like, it's actually brought us so much closer together. Like, me starting this that, business, yeah. like, we like talk on a much more regular basis. Like, we're always kind of like trying to, like, just talking about but entrepreneurship, I think it's been helpful for him as well. Like I think just having another person who kind of, you know, we're both trying to build something yeah really. he
0: understands your world he understands you as a result more, yeah right? but we also come Advice from different
1: percent. worlds because he's an entrepreneur but he's like he has a store like it's a very product-based business but service-based right so like we both i think have those different perspectives that we bring so he's been huge uh he also having a accountant as a dad also yeah. helps hey. a lot <laughs> <laughs> accountants are not cheap i'll tell you that uh, and if they
0: are cheap then you're going to be en- you're going to end up paying it in taxes exactly <laughs>
1: exactly so that's been a huge help uh like shauna who i mentioned before is still like a huge part of my circle today like i still reach out to her sometimes being like i have this weird client situation like how would you navigate this and she's just like she some people i feel like negotiations that could like, sales just come super naturally to them, she's one of those people. Like, I think I'm able to learn fast, and I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Wow. But, like, she kind of has, like, a natural instinct, which is I find so impressive. Um, and I think, like the, like, the Make Lemonade community has yeah. been huge. Like, for people who might not know about Make Lemonade, it's a, a co-working space for women in downtown Toronto. Um, and, like, I think back in September, that's when I started – Kind of working there, like I kind I work there sort of part time on an energy exchange. I'm like a part of their front desk team, and then an exchange get to be in the space. And then since being there, I've been connected to so many amazing women doing totally. such incredible things like I learned something literally every day that I'm there like last week I was sick and just sort of kind of was like somebody asked me how my day or how my week went I was like not great I was sick mm-hmm. and like immediately I had three or four women being like oh this is what I do with my clients like this is how like I handle those situations oh there you should you try go. this and it's like beautiful. Yeah. It's just like it's so amazing like the the community um like shout out to the founder Rachel Kelly. She's really created quite an incredible space Kelly, yeah. there. Uh so yeah, like that's kind of been a very much like a, a village raises the yeah. child kind of thing. Like I feel like I'm surrounded by mentors like And what was really
0: cool is I bumped into you not too long ago at the Women in Color Speaker Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. And that's when my eyes opened up to, oh, there's a movement that's happening concurrent to everything else you're seeing in the city where there's some people, Muhammad Asadullah and uh, Chanel McFarlane, who started this and working with their team to now empower a whole crop, a whole roster. I mean, there was like 50 women and people of color over there that were all burgeoning speakers. And I thought to myself, a thing is happening. Yeah. Like I'm going to see the after effects of this, not like next year, not next year not in the next five years but like 15 20 years from now yeah i'm never gonna sit in a conference hopefully knock on wood I'm never gonna <laughs> sit in a conference where i look at the panel and i groan i'm like oh just another uh, bunch of old white dudes on yeah. this panel now
1: yeah no that was being a part of that boot camp was such a special experience like mm-hmm. actually a lot of us who participated in it are still in like there's a slack group we still yeah. like talk we like meet up uh because yeah it was so special like because all of us like came from a place of feeling underrepresented, like feeling like we, like having that kind of imposter syndrome, like we don't belong up there. Like I'm not old enough. I'm not experienced enough. Like even like some of the people who were coaching us applied to be in the boot camp, and the like, uh, I guess Mohammed and was like, what are you doing? Like you're an incredible speaker. You need to be a coach. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's that, there's this thing that happens with like women and LGBT people where we just, we, I think we, we like, it's damaging like how much we underestimate ourselves totally um and yeah that weekend was huge it was huge it was
0: it was huge for me too because i actually had one of the participants you might know her bailey greenspan
1: Mm, possibly
0: i don't remember where she works but uh, i need to follow up with her on twitter uh she took me aside and respectfully said like great session hamza one piece of feedback i have to give you is that you asserted at the end as one of your takeaways to just show up and own your story confidently and she's like it's good advice in theory, but when you think about the audience you're speaking to, simply telling them once that you're good enough and ready to show up isn't enough because yeah. these have been typically underrepresented, disenfranchised groups. And she's like, you know this because you're one of them as well. Yeah, It's not going to take one pat on the back for you to feel confident. It's going to take two, three, four, five pats on the back to feel confident. Like, heck, here we are in episode three or four of this podcast, and I'm still like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Yeah, But the audience is like, yeah, this is great. Keep it up. But I don't inherently believe that we've done a good job yet yeah and that is not a reflection on the podcast the podcast is actually objectively fantastic <laughs> it's my fucking baggage that i have to unpack
1: yeah Yeah.
0: Interesting. And I think that, you know, the onus isn't just on me. I have to rely on my community in the way that you are to help me get through this. And one thing that you you seem to be doing really well is just asking your mentors for advice. I'm the worst, man. I just keep on buying my mentors free food and and (laughs) taking them out for breakfast and dinners and giving them gifts. But I never ask them for advice or at at least I don't intentionally ask them for advice. I'm scared. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to take something from you. But
1: I see like for me, I always just try to like kind of lead with with gratitude like Mm -hmm. and and I always try to give back when I can so like whenever like for instance like if I reach out to Shauna or something like for advice like one thing that was great too when we first got connected is that I was actually kind of in an editor position so like when I was asking her about freelance advice then I immediately like you know asked her to write an article and like you know paid her for that right. so like I, I always try to kind of give back or like you know i'm literally the first person to like if anybody asks me he's like so what do you think about shauna like i will talk your ear off yeah so like i always just try to try to give back like i don't really take anything or any kind of piece of advice or anybody giving me their time for for granted uh and i think maybe that's where some people kind of falter. It's like if you're constantly asking, asking, and then you're just like, OK, bye. Yeah,
0: I'm Jasmine, and I feel like like this is a good segue for us because you know when we did the year one project, it was to try to figure out what trait, what value, what attribute yeah. wildly successful people have. And we quickly found out that it was resilience, like resilience without a doubt, the ability to withstand and adapt to stress, grit, boldness, tenacity was the superpower. But I've also noticed that that's the superpower that's almost passive. The active superpowers are twofold. Hyper competence, so being really fucking good at something, and then hyper generosity, mm. willing to very freely give it away. Yeah. And it seems like you've done and you're continuing to do both. And there's no surprises when it comes to your success. Oh, like you. you being this successful, Jasmine, is not an accident. You're <laughs> hyper competent, hyper generous, very resilient. Here we are in 2019. Talk to me about 2029. What does wild success look like for Jasmine Williams Media? How are you going to know that, yeah, I'm enough for me? I'm enough for a lot of people. I'm feeling pretty pretty damn good about this.
1: Uh I don't think I'll ever feel like i'm enough like i don't think there'll ever be a point where i'm just like yeah i've made it like interesting i think always gonna have the
0: underdog mentality
1: i think so like i think i could reach the top of a mountain and probably like try to find a ladder somewhere and like (laughs) keep going um it's like we haven't gone far enough but uh yeah like that is like that is such a huge question and it is something that like i am currently grappling with because like uh like you said, I feel like I've accomplished a lot in a short period of time. And now I'm kind of at this point where it's like, you know, all like all the reins are gone. Like there's no, there's no boss, there's no management, you know, career ladder. Like I can kind of make, make my way in any way. And that's, super daunting i didn't realize how daunting it would feel right uh like i thought it would just be like oh yeah this is awesome like i have so much power and now i'm just like oh like i don't know what to do with i
0: it. i think <laughs> i think that there is a path over here like so you we you talked right before we went on air about hourly rates and yeah. you talked about how initially you took your hourly rate off your website because yeah. you wanted to sort of reestablish and re and re- recreate expectations now you've put it back on mm-hmm. what is you know if somebody wants to work with you what is your introductory rate
1: <laughs> uh well yeah my my, I guess, hour, my hourly rate is, is $75 an hour.
0: Okay, which is fantastic. It's competitive, but still accessible enough. Mm-hmm. Then I think the next step is you graduate that, like 150 an hour, yeah. 300 an hour, 500 an hour. Yeah. I've seen some agencies charge 5000 per article. <laughs> right, That has happened before, yeah. and it's still happening right now as yeah. we speak. So I think the sky's the limit as far as how you want to price yourself and figuring out what you want to price out. But then... You're going to get to a point very quickly where Jasmine Williams Media is going to be the name. Jasmine Williams will be the face. I will pay Jasmine Williams Media, but I don't know who's going to work on my stuff. Yeah. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I know that it's going to have your seal of approval and you will have breathed your spirit into the agency. (laughs) By the end of Splash Effect, I was not doing any of the work. People were hiring me and Kareem. We were just delegating, subcontracting, outsourcing. Yeah. But it didn't matter because at the end of the day... My name was on the line. Kareem's name was on the line. Yeah. And I feel like you're going to get there very soon.
1: Well, I think that's kind of like what I sort of need to accept. Like it, like if like I think that this has the potential to be really big, like the fact that if it's grown so quickly, so fast, uh, like some days I even look at just kind of like me, my accounting software and like just look at like the way this has scaled and it's like. Literally, like all the goals that I set, it's just like I'm done and it's crazy. So, yeah, like now I'm kind of at that point where it's like I like, you know, say what you will about lean in. But it's like, yeah, do I lean into this? Like, do I keep this momentum going or do I scale back? And I'm like, okay, because right now I'm at the point where I have enough for myself.
0: Am I correct in assuming that this is the most money you've ever made?
1: Yeah, which is
0: amazing. And I know when Bailey was making the jump as well, she's like, how am I going to make my salary back? How am I going to pay for benefits? year one of the business bailey nearly doubled or tripled what she was making wow when working full-time and yeah. i'm like you know what you are taking the ultimate bet on yourself because yeah. when you said I'm going full time you sent a signal out to the rest of the world to me which is I trust myself so much that I'm depending I'm putting my entire livelihood yeah. on the line for this Yeah. and that communicates a different kind of energy to me Yeah. because when you were doing it part time it was like okay so you've got one foot in one foot out yeah. but when you did it full time I was like oh you are serious like you were going to give this your undivided time <laughs> energy attention yeah. and when it comes to scaling and I think you're going to find your repeatable scalable model very soon if not you already have found it yeah. which is I trust Jasmine Jasmine here's money I would like <laughs> sorry in, in the most crude form Jasmine here here's money could you produce product mm-hmm. and you're going to get to a place where you're going to have four or five writers on staff on, on your roster and your freelance network that you can then delegate out to and then just continue to ingest more clients yeah. and I think the long term goal should be you do as little work as possible, yeah. and make all the money in the world. Yeah, well, do you there have You go. A, you've mapped out my 10-year plan. Well, I think, <laughs> Thank you. I, th- I think, I think this is true for any entrepreneur, no, right? No, but like do you're you have a number right. in in your head, like
1: a number, like, like money wise, like, financially? You know, I feel like
0: there's like fuck you, money, which is like you can't fire me, fuck you, yeah, and there's like fuck the world, money,
1: mm. which
0: is. I, I can exit all of this. I can create my own reality. Yeah. My, my grandkids' kids are going to be okay.
1: Yeah. Well, like, I, see, yeah, I guess, like, I, I struggle a bit with thinking that long term. Like, I think I've always maybe thought in, like, the next one to two years, next five years, like, I know, like, a big thing that I have for this, this year is just to make it to, like, the five-figure monthly mark. Wow. That's, like, I and I'm, I think I can make it. Totally. Uh. So like once I hit that, that's kind of, like I think in my head, that's like, that's the point where I'm like, this is real. Like it's still real, but like this is like, that's the point where this is an agency. Like mm-hmm. this is a, a thing where I can employ people and, and, re- and really grow something and really make something amazing.
0: I'm excited for you. and I have no doubt that it's going to happen. I mean, the work speaks for itself. If anyone's been on Student Life Network recently, they've probably read something that you've written. <laughs> Most
1: um, likely, and yeah. It's
0: really good stuff. It's Thank really you. good stuff. Like, you write at a caliber where I don't think I would trust many people on this planet with representing the voice of the high profile clients that we've brought to the table with you and you've just hit home runs every single time
1: i extre i appreciate that so much
0: let's get into now the action uh sort of the 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 the, the performance point section i'm trying to figure out a a catchy name for it right now don't know what it is yet but it's a portion (laughs) of the podcast where we reverse engineer and break down how it is that you spend your time your energy your attention how it is that you optimize it and i've got three questions in each of these categories and take as long or as, as or you can articulate your answers as succinctly as you'd Like, essentially, we just want to get to the specific actions, specific systems and tools, if you have any recommendations that you're using to generate the output that you are. Yeah. And I think this is going to be really interesting because what I want to do is at the end of the year, compile all the different answers and just try to figure out if there's a pattern amongst all the different guests that we've brought out Mm -hmm. for how it is that you can optimize and manage your time, your energy and your attention. Because all the all the guests that we're bringing on are successful, just like yourself and all have wild success in the near and far future ahead of them so i'm really excited to hear your answers because i don't think i've ever asked you these questions
1: probably not (laughs) okay
0: so on behalf of myself and all the listeners of the podcast let's start by talking about your time how do you establish clear boundaries so that you have enough time to focus on what you need to get done
1: Hmm.
0: and again thinking about the fact that you've never said no to me (laughs) And I I know that it's going to come one day, you're going to say, Hamza, I can't take on this project. I
1: know. And that day, will. I feel like that'll be a sad day.
0: I (laughs) I will be ecstatic because that'll mean to me that you're now taking the next necessary step to building the empire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I guess like to me, like I've always had like a really good ability to just sort of like tune out the world. Uh, Like I kind of just like plug in, put some like chill music on and then just kind of and just sort of go
0: damn you're a music worker i'm a silence worker i've stopped being a music worker it's really hard for me now
1: i think like i can do music if it's like music i haven't really heard before oh so So i'm the
0: opposite i need to hear the same song over and over again
1: no like if i listen to music i already know then i just start singing along (laughs) and then (laughs) it's like i don't i don't get anything done um but yeah in terms of uh like i guess setting setting the boundaries uh Sometimes like it's as much as like you're gonna get this I'll just tell myself it's like you're gonna get this article done in two hours. Right. And then and then I do it. Like I know yeah. it sounds like that sounds crazy, but I I just try to be super, super intentional. Um and you know, obviously if it, it takes longer than that, I, I don't beat myself up for it, but I usually have like the three or so things that I absolutely must hit. There's the one thing that I know I have to hit and and then I just do it and then like I guess like to me like It's especially being self-employed, it's like. Like people, like my friends, always ask, like, I could never do it. It's like I have to. Like, mm-hmm. this is you took, I took this work on. This work is what pays my rent. It what it what feeds me. So, so I I do it.
0: And one of the things that you do really well is uh, you meet your deadlines. And I know that seems like a really elementary, rudimentary thing to talk about deadlines, yeah. but I think that's crucial to tr- to building trust. Yeah. That any I've given you a project, I've been able to go to sleep peacefully at night, knowing I'm going to wake up the next day whenever the deadline is. Yeah. And expect it in my inbox. Yeah. The only Time that you've never hit a deadline was like literally last week, and that's because you were deathly ill. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfectly acceptable. And like you reach out to me and you're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry, like you were actually about to die, like you're super sick. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. And it's the first time in like six or seven years of knowing you yeah. that it's happened. And it was like by a day that you missed a deadline, right? <laughs> and not even like the final deadline, you missed like a draft deadline. And there's three other draft deadlines, so it's all good. It's water under the bridge. Yeah. Uh, there's an author by the name of Douglas Adams who once said, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise they make as they go by. Mm-hmm. Tell us all the juicy intimate details of your relationship with deadlines well, cuz you live in a world of deadlines.
1: Well, that's the thing like I I definitely credit my journalism education for that. Like it makes you, you you literally have assignments where you have to put a whole story together in like 2 hours. So that it makes you very like very focused. You kind of know exactly how much time to devote to to certain things. I think that's also it. Like I've been writing for so long. I I know how long something is going to take me to do. Uh like I'd sometimes underestimate it or or I guess yeah I'd underestimate how long it would take but I generally know like I can get a blog post done in like 3 hours I can get a certain thing done in like 1 hour like I I know that so I kind mm-hmm. of try I can set deadlines accordingly but yeah like I don't being like that's one thing too like going into this it's like I know I'm like I know I'm pretty good at what I do but I know like that's not enough or like that would wear people out eventually to be like the, the brilliant writer who's like so unreliable and you never quite know when stuff's getting in.
0: I think that's when you have to just lean in all the way and just become a tortured artist and commit to that one script that might never get picked up at that point. Like all options are off the table.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's just, it's something that I uh, like, it's just, it's, it matters a lot to me. I I take it very personally. Um, Like, I like I have missed deadlines before and then one thing I try to do if I do miss a deadline is I try to make it up in some way so I might go a little bit extra
0: discount extra half post yeah yeah yeah.
1: and I find that that usually helps because people are like okay you know this happened but you know like she's going above and beyond to to make it right do
0: you ever get overwhelmed by how many deadlines you have oh yeah (laughs) do you sometimes procrastinate as a result
1: uh I do. I, I, I procrastinate on certain things. Like I procrastinate on tasks that I don't necessarily know exactly how to start. Got it. Uh, like, the, like blog posts are usually the things I don't procrastinate on because it's like, you I know the
0: system. I know yeah. the system.
1: I know how to get it done, but some of the more like strategic tasks or things that like, it's like, I just kind of have to sit down and think for yeah. a while. That's the hard part where I like really have to make sure I'm in the zone and like, Yeah, I can kind of put that, I tend to put those off a little bit. How do
0: you, how do you beat procrastination? What's your, your go-to tactic? Uh,
1: I guess like, I like kind of live and die by like my Asana. Right. Uh, like, right, like when I used to just do stuff on the side, I just kind of had things like little notification reminders, but like I, right away I was like, okay, if this is a business, I'm going to treat it like a business. So like I use my Asana really to like, to map things out. Uh, but I guess, like honestly, I do procrastinate. I just kind of wait until the absolute last minute to start, and then I start. Mm-hmm. So, like, my probably my clients wouldn't like to hear this, but like, if I say something's going to take a week, I probably start it the day before. The day before,
0: <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. I had a friend who just did that. Like Fazan, one of my best friends, uh all throughout university, he would wait until the end hour. I would, yeah. he would be studying beside me. Yeah, I would see him watching movies, spending time on Reddit, just browsing social media. I'm like, bro, we have this due in a few hours. He's like. It hasn't activated yet yeah like, what hasn't activated yet he's like just the drive yeah and uh when the when 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 the sense of urgency became apparent to him that's when he sw- he became super sane almost yeah and he went all in and i think there's a lot to describe that it's parkinson's law work expands so as to fill the time allocated for its completion if you I, give yourself a week it'll take a week if you give yourself 24 hours it'll take 24
1: hours i kind of i live by that rule a lot yeah i remember like in university i, I freaked my mom at once because i had a take i had a take-home exam and literally submitted it at like 1155 oh
0: my goodness it's playing with fire <laughs> and
1: she's like what if your computer died yeah. and i'm like but it didn't it did. <laughs> <laughs> she's like you're <laughs> insane i'm like i don't
0: i i i'm such a natural procrastinator i've learned that about myself that my default is to procrastinate yeah. if I had nothing else to do. You would find me on a couch playing video games with Cheetos dust on my fingers. Yeah. That's who I am naturally. And every day I wake up, I have to fight actively to not be that guy. Yeah. And so what I do is I simulate constraints. Like I'm always like, I need to be here by this time. I need to work in 25 minute chunks. I need to count to three and build up the first actionable tasks towards that. Yeah. There's a whole like dance that goes on for the Hamza enterprise in order to beat procrastination. And it's validating to hear that I'm not alone in that respect.
1: Absolutely not. Like I do, I do the same sort of things. Like sometimes I'm kind of like, mean to myself it's like you can't have lunch until you finish this article yeah. or something like negative that. reinforcement right? yeah uh, Why not? or like yeah like working out of a co-working space has been super helpful too because it's like now i have like a dedicated spot totally. to like just go and work and
0: you can't work out of your pjs anymore you can't work on your bed <laughs> yeah which is a mistake that a lot of people make like they yeah. work in the same clothes that they sleep in and they work in the same space that they sleep in it creates a cognitive dissonance almost yeah. Switching gears to energy real quick, how yeah. do you decide between choosing work to work more or to rest and recover? Mm-hmm. You had to confront the realities of your your body giving up on you. Yeah. But other aside from like falling deathly ill, how is it that you decide when is it when it's time to stop working and start resting?
1: Uh there's usually just a point where I I just can't I just can't do it anymore. Like a lot of my work is like is super highly it, it's very creative. Uh, and yeah like i kind of i kind of get to a point where i sort of ask myself it's like would you be happy like submitting this right now like or, or like if i'm like if it's not on deadline or something then it's like if it's not good then yeah i just i i that's when i take a break but i honestly just try to in a weird way like i even though i can work whenever I want or any hours I want. I'd usually stick to like a nine to five kind of ten to six schedule. There you go. That's usually what works for me. So around like five or six, that's sort of when I when a i a hard talk. stop, yeah. That's a Good hard for stop. You.
0: And then what are some like <laughs> if you feel comfortable sharing it, what is a bad habit that you have right now that's affecting your energy that you're trying to change? And I'll tell you mine.
1: Uh, a bad habit that's affecting my energy. Uh honestly just over scheduling myself.
0: Overscheduling yourself. Yeah. Very interesting. I
1: like I, I know exactly how much work I can get done in a day, but I always push it. And then I'm just constantly in the state of like catching up. Wow. So I need to just like stick to like three. I think I read somewhere that's like people can really only get three major tasks done every day. Yeah. I've heard
0: five as, as the absolute max. Yeah.
1: And I think that's me. But I always try to cram in like four or five.
0: Yeah, there's diminishing returns. The more tasks you add on, you're just going to end up half-assing a bunch of tasks. I'd rather just whole-ass two or three tasks, right? Yeah, yeah. And give those tasks your all. Yeah. My bad habit uh, is pre-workout powder. (laughs) No, it really is, man. I'm I'm older now and I go to the gym sometimes without pre-workout. I'm like, what am I doing here? This is just so boring. I'm not enjoying this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So I got on pre-workout recently again and it's fantastic. The problem is I do it super early in the morning. Okay. And I get all zoned out by noon every single day so like i'll start i'll go to the gym six seven in the morning pre-workout feel like a superhero workout have a great workout feel the endorphins and then the crash comes in hard Mm. and i think between the hours of 12 and 2 i'm just mindless so i need to figure out a better relationship with caffeine maybe maybe stagger my caffeine intake maybe decrease my dosage or find ways to recreate that pre-workout feeling without pre-workout
1: yeah like i one thing i am pretty strict about is i don't have caffeine after noon like after 12 p.m that's good yeah because uh, like i'm really sensitive to caffeine yeah. and if i have like even like a tea at like 3 p.m you're
0: gonna be staring at the ceiling till 4 in the morning yeah. yeah
1: so and like i really need my sleep so that's something where i'm just like that's the only thing where i'm very like particular about
0: people don't talk about that enough sleep is i think the ultimate competitive advantage
1: I think so. That's something I've never really been good at sacrificing. Like I've, yeah. I've pulled all Niners in university, but like my output is never great. No. Like the essays I've put in, it's just like I could have done a lot better. Uh, so, yeah, I'm like for, I, I need a lot of sleep. I feel like I need at least like seven to eight hours. That's good. Uh, less than that. And I start to like I just I'm not at my best. And I think especially for what I do, having to be so creative all the time, like right. I need to rest and recharge. Are you a night owl? no early bird
0: what time are you in bed
1: uh like i'm not super early like i'm like but naturally i can wake up at like seven or six that's good yeah
0: and so that means you're usually in bed by 11 tops yeah way to go
1: and like i'm early bird in that like i have a lot of energy in the morning like i piss my roommate off all the time because i'll like wake up at seven and start doing the dishes yeah (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) that person eh yeah
0: when it comes to attention now so that's time and energy squared off when it comes to attention how do you determine whether an upcoming opportunity will be truly beneficial or whether it's a shiny distraction
1: hmm oh because not all
0: opportunities are equal
1: yeah that's something where i i do struggle with like like I said, I say yes to everything. I yeah. say a lot of yes to a lot of things that, and I, in a way, I I think that does work for me because I have noticed that like, it grows. Like you know, you say yes to one thing and the people like it, and they say like I've become like a go to writer for so many, so many different friends, people yeah. just because of one article. You know, you do one thing really well, and it kind of it, you know, it grows from there. Uh, but now that I finally, I guess, can confidently say I've gotten to a point where like you know, I'm good, like I have like I don't have to worry about whether I'm gonna get more clients or whether people are gonna to want to right. work with this me is a or steady not. Steady stream now. Yeah, now I'm starting to be a bit more um like selective selective. Yeah. And I kind of feel like the kind of typical like if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Interesting. Uh and I also really think like kind of it like can I make magic for this person? Like is this something that like at the end of the day they will really be better off for like I am am I really the best person For this particular job uh and like there have been some times where i've been like yeah sure i could do it but now i've been more like you know what there's somebody better and i will i will introduce you have you
0: ever said no to a really lucrative contract uh
1: yes like not quite like i've there's been some potential contracts that have been could have been lucrative but it wasn't like you know i was about to sign and then you know walked away uh, but there have been some opportunities where, you know, I felt like there maybe personalities didn't mesh or things like that. Where it's like, you know, I kind of just pulled myself out of the running. Are there
0: any clients you would never you you wouldn't work for? Any industries? Uh, like I mean, for... let's say the NRA reached out to you <laughs> and like Jasmine, we need uh, an ebook
1: absolutely on not. gun ownership. <laughs> yeah, but
0: here is twenty thousand dollars.
1: No. Really? No. A? Yeah. No. Like that's like. Like, my website says, like, I'm really big about, like, game changers and change makers. And the change makers is really about, like, socially sustainable, socially responsible businesses. So that's super important to me. And if, like, if I don't, if I feel like they're not giving back to the world in some way, sure. that doesn't no allow are
0: Those are the change makers. What about the, the game. game changers?
1: Uh... I feel like
0: Donald Trump is a game changer, and he would come and say, "Jasmine, I was listening to the (laughs) podcast. Fantastic podcast! Great, really great stuff over here. Could you write my press
1: releases?" That's actually not a bad Donald. (laughs) I try. Uh, Yeah, like for sure. Like, become my
0: communications director.
1: yeah like i'm all about like the values have to align okay absolutely i happy uh, to hear
0: that that makes me very happy
1: yeah. yeah and like there have i'm trying to think too like uh like i think there have been i can't think of any off the top of my head but i know there have been some things that i've written that i haven't felt super proud of mm-hmm. and just having that having that feeling of like like not wanting to put my name on something, right. it was, it, it was hard, you know, like that was a feeling where it's like, Oh, this is what selling out feels like. Yeah. <laughs> this is what people mean when they say it. It's not a great feeling. Like you literally traded like what you stand for, yeah. for, for money. So I kind of, I been in that position in like full-time jobs where it's like as like a content writer, you can't really always control the certain clients that sure. you work with the stories that you cover. Uh, the perspectives even that you take. Right. Uh, so having been in that position of having to put out content just for the kind of the sake of it, for to get those clicks, to get those eyeballs, and feeling really cheap and dirty afterwards, uh, I never want to do that. And again. it's
0: possible to be wildly successful. When we started Splash Effect, we had a very strict mandate, which is only work with do good clients: yeah. education, government, nonprofit, healthcare. Yeah. Some of my mentors said, "Yeah, you're going to come back to me in, in a year and say this is not going to work out. You're going to have to go corporate." Yeah. It worked. We did it for five, six years straight. No problems whatsoever. It's just an economy of scale. Yes, they pay less. Yes, they take their time with payments. But you just change the variable of how many clients you have. Yeah. And I feel like the industry is now going to catch up where there's grants that are available for specifically the type of values-driven business, purpose-driven business that you're trying to build. Yeah. Good stuff. And my last question, Jasmine, when it comes to attention is, how do you determine the ratios between work and life balance? Do you believe work-life balance is worthwhile in the first place and achievable?
1: Oof. Like... Yes, I I do kind of believe more in like, like a work life structure than work life balance. Like I don't think really work life balance, really is super like to have it perfectly like equilibrium like mm-hmm. I don't think that really makes sense. And I think in my case like I think a lot of my aspects of my work do intertwine with my life. Like I'm lucky to work with clients that I actually really like and for some people I'm actually friends with. Uh so to me like that is kind of a, a blending of of sorts. So I guess to me it's kind of like sort of managing my energy and like what I can do in a given, it's sort of like percentages. So maybe it's like 70% work one day and then like 30% other things. And maybe it's other days. It's sort of, it's sort of switched. Uh, But I just like, I just try to do something every day. That's sort of, that's just for me. Like I I don't try to like overthink it too much. Uh, I try to just be like very grateful for the position I'm in. Um, and, and just, yeah, try to, try to lean in and lean into these kinds of opportunities that, that come up and that are exciting to me.
0: I'm so happy to hear that. And I have one last question for you, but what I want to start introducing from this podcast onwards, and you're the first person on the podcast to do this, um, is listener questions. Okay. So we have one question from a listener who gave out this question and I had it banked And I said, I'm going to ask it for a guest who I think would be able to answer this really well. And I think you're the person to answer this. Uh, And I'm going to paraphrase the question over here. The question is, an influencer reached out to me recently and asked for my freelance creative services. But they only want to pay me an exposure. How do I tell them, how do I communicate respectfully that this is how I make my money and I'm actually damn good at my work?
1: Ooh, 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 ooh. That's a great... And I'm
0: sure you've heard this throughout your career.
1: That's a great question. Yeah. Uh
0: Shout out to Elliot by the way. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> Yeah, like yeah, so many people ugh, devalue creative work and it's so upsetting. Uh I get like how would you structure a response? Uh I would I would say, you know, like thank you so much for reaching out. Uh just to let you know, my rates for this kind of work start here. Uh if you're like if you're interested in proceeding, you know, I'd love to chat Uh, if that's, you know, outside of your budget. Then unfortunately, uh, like, I don't think this is a good opportunity, but, you know, be happy to support you and, you know, best of luck or not even happy to support you, just sort of like just best of luck. Uh, Yeah, I find just like just being just holding firm.
0: I see, I think that's that's the sign of somebody who's has run up against this multiple times (laughs) and has done experiments that have landed that has landed you with the perfect answer because my answer is identical to that. Really? And I think the moment that I realized that this was the most effective version of that answer is when I said. When I change my tune from what's your budget to my rates start at. Yeah. That simple change was a game changer. Yeah. So before I used to be like, hey, what's the budget? I'm happy to work within it. Yeah. And then they would always lowball me. Yeah. But when I said, hey, the hourly rate starts at 150. yeah, That's when things were like, oh, okay, so we can't afford you. And then I said, okay, fine. Well, my threshold is this. How can we work in kind? If yeah. not, can I refer you to someone in my network? Fantastic answer. Yeah, Yeah, folks, you heard it right there. (laughs) Jasmine and I both co-signed that answer. My last question for you on behalf of all the listeners who are on the fence about starting whatever it is, Mm -hmm. starting a business, starting a family, starting that book project, what advice as as an entrepreneur who's now doing this, doing this successfully, what advice would you give to somebody who's hesitant to start?
1: I would say, like, if it's something that is kind of eating at you, like, for me, like, I was, like, I would call myself, like, a startup nerd, like, I was just obsessed with everything to do with entrepreneurship, like, it was just something that, like, I knew I had to try at some point, uh, then you, you got to try. And like, you don't have to necessarily go all in. Like you can start it with a side hustle. Uh, you can, you know, test the water. Like if it's a kind of a hobby right now, then you could create a blog around it or something just to see if, you know, if there is interest in there. Cause I, I have seen some people who have kind of dove into it full forced and, you know, been burned up a little bit because they weren't quite ready. So there are ways to test the waters, but I'd say absolutely try. Like, um, like I feel at this point where even if I decide like in a few months or like a year or two years from now that I'm, I'm good and want to go back to the corporate world, I will never, ever regret doing this. I would much more regret that having not done it and seeing not knowing whether I would succeed or fail than to, to try it and and, you know, see what happened.
0: Amen. Jasmine, say yes to everything until you absolutely can't. Yes. The <laughs> mantra that I'm walking away with from this, this is this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, for sharing your gifts, for sharing your wisdom, and for all the work that you do. I mean, I, Student Life Network, all the brands that we've collaborated with are so much better because you're doing this work. And 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 shout out to you for doing that. Where can listeners follow your adventures online?
1: For sure. Uh on Instagram at Jasmine Williams Media, all one word uh you can find me on linkedin i think it's the same sort of handle type thing uh Face, I have a Facebook page as well, Jasmine Williams Media, and then Twitter is at TheJazzWilliams.
0: Got it. And where's your blog?
1: Oh, yes. My blog is uh, JasmineWilliams.ca slash blog.
0: Amazing. And yeah. your most recent post is about your experiences falling sick as an entrepreneur and how you push through, how you push through that.
1: Well, I think that will be my next blog. Oh, that was just my I, Instagram You just announced post. it.
0: Okay, right, right, right. But, okay. yeah. It's have, technically a micro blog, isn't it? Yeah, yeah
1: well, I, I, I tend to kind of crowdsource ideas that way. So, yeah, like my the freelance rate post kind of became an Instagram post and now the sick post this Instagram post I think I'm going to turn it into a blog amazing we're we'll yeah. waiting
0: with beta breath for that thank you so much Jasmine you're <laughs> yeah. the best awesome thank you, thank you. we're out awesome. folks